Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, everyone. Yes, this is Owen McDevitts. And your ball head. And I'm back with your free-to-air Second Captain's Monday shows alongside Ken and my loyal number two, Murph. What does it look like? A turtle, is it? You'll be hearing ads in today's podcast and in every Monday show from now on. And that's because we have joined the Acast Creator Network. But remember, if you become a Second Captain's member for just €5 a month, you'll get commercial-free shows daily, including ad-free Monday pods. So say the catchphrase, Murph. Do you have the stones to join us today at secondcaptains.com? You have the stones. <laughs> Perfect. Now, on with the show. Welcome to heaven. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, it feels good to say those words again after a two-week holiday. Hey, Murph. Hey, Ken. Well, hey, how are you? welcome back. Oh, I'm good. I'm refreshed. I'm... I must say, I successfully switched off while I was away, so I really haven't heard your voices. I haven't. I have to reconnect. Yeah. yeah. God, I always, I always feel it, uh, find it really weird that you've listened back to every single show when you uh, when you're on holiday. But now, usually, but now that you haven't done I, it, I feel annoyed that you haven't. Yeah, and insulted. <laughs> Who do you think you I are? I feel annoyed and insulted. Odd. I was. Well, you I think was, you're better than us. I was following the uh, the Ireland game. We, you know, we might talk about the Ireland games in the. There's a football podcast to come later on today. I do want to ask you, Murph, have you been presenting the shows Oscar Elga while I was away? That's what I'm getting from all the emails coming in singing your praises. <laughs> Connor Kennedy sends this one from Belfast. Murph Akara, I wanted to lend my voice to the chorus of praise for your sign-offs over the last two weeks. Unfortunately, and despite the best efforts of my GCSE Irish teacher, I can follow none of what you've been saying. So you've inspired me to develop my vocab beyond that of a toddler with behavioural problems. Further inspiration, were it needed, came from watching at your recommendation the excellent on Colleen Kuhn truly you are a cultural maven time for a spin-off perhaps movie club Oscar there's a good PS here by the way go on yeah Yeah, I I think that might be stretching uh, (laughs) my my Gaelga abilities a little too too thinly there is a PS a couple of weeks ago we were at a wedding in the Britannia Royal Naval College the very heart of Imperial Britain towards the end of the evening we met an English gentleman lawyer cream linen suit upon hearing my partner's accent his opening gambit was I shit you not 
do you listen to Second Captains? And when she answered in the affirmative, what was your favourite audio bed last year? <laughs> Never in my life has anyone made a better first impression. Once again, that wow. was at the Britannia Royal Naval College. <laughs> that is pretty good, to be fair. Love that it. That is pretty good. Absolutely. I dusted off the old school French on my holidays, guys. You'd be glad to hear. Oh. École. L'école française. L'école, L'école. Yeah. I want to do that thing where you at least try a few words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get I'm on trying the to remember side. the Dell boy first. Bonnie le douche. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, my, uh, bon do, douche. Do you want to hear my proudest moment? Go yeah, for please, it. please. Well, I was camper vanning around various parts of France and spent a couple of days on a farm in Brittany, uh, a working farm where you stay, and it's obviously good for good for the young lad, you know, go around looking mm-hmm. at the animals and all that sort of stuff. Gotcha. But as it's a bit rough and ready, you know, as, as you'd imagine, it was it was. Uh, functioning farm after all you know they weren't just there to cater only to the needs of the <laughs> people staying in the campsite the elites that have decided to d- descend uh, camp, for yes. for yeah exactly yeah for a bit of real French rural life mm. so the morning we were leaving we were we were packed up everything set to go it was around half past nine went up to reception to find it closed and I hadn't, hadn't paid so I wanted to check out I called the mobile number that was pasted to the door hoping to get through to Sandra the woman who runs the place and speaks a bit of English instead it was answered by an old woman who also works in the farm I, I take to be Sandra's mother now I, I can't, well, she didn't have any English and my opening gambit was obviously bonjour Uwe Sandra <laughs> uh, there followed this conversation all in French in which I, I did I managed to convey my desire to leave the campsite you know je voudrais departer uh, yeah je well, v- that's good it's yeah, only like je it. voudrais once you say yeah. je voudrais you're halfway through a sentence je voudrais, je voudrais acheter deux billets what was that one? Paris <laughs> I would like to buy two tickets to Paris <laughs> yeah well I wasn't far off it was like yeah. je voudrais Pay l'argent, you know. So, so, Jesus so Christ. I was getting there, Ken. Sandra's mother managed to make clear that Sandra would be milking cows for the next hour and a half. Lavash. 11 a.m. She's like, basically 11 a.m. Check out that. And I'm like, no, these minutes, you know, I've got to, got to get out here. <laughs> Eventually, a compromise was, was, it was more than a compromise. I won this particular cultural battle and Sandra arrived up within 10 minutes oh. to let me pay up and get out of there. Well done, Alan. And she was reasonably good-humoured about it. A bit more good-humoured than the barman of the local village who was awoken from his afternoon nap that he was taking right in his shop front. Right. Like you're walking by the, the tobacco, you know. You wanted to buy a pack of cigarettes? No, the tobacco they sell, but they do a bit of everything over there, kind of sweets, beer, right. all that sort of stuff. It's a pub. Um, yeah, well, yeah. that's what we would Like the one Arsene Wenger grew up in, but on the other side yeah, of the country. Co- yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, he that poor fellow was was literally sleeping in his shop front. You know, you're walking by the street, which I presume is sort of the maybe he's technically not supposed to close, but all the locals know you don't go in while the barman is sleeping. It's effectively on the street. But um, mm. he was awoken by a thirsty Irishman asking for a pint of beer, local. Oh, I, I think that was entirely. I don't think that was a cultural faux pas at all. I think, you know, I think that was all right. You're within your rights. In fairness, he served me the beer and went back to sleep, so there was no major issue. I just sat in a tobacco. Yeah, he, by I, myself. to be honest, I think he's got he's got the um, he's 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 living his best life. I wouldn't be at all concerned <laughs> about that lad. Odd. He no. had a great that day. I had a great that day. That lad's got to be doing just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But good to be back with you guys, um, Jamie Wall and former Clare Ireland winning captain Pat Donnell will be on the show today I leave for a couple of weeks Murph arrive back and the championship is almost over <laughs> uh, yeah uh, yeah three teams left three teams left no hold on a second four teams left what am I talking four about oh my That's god I forgot what sport, sport works yeah <laughs> Semi-finals. Well, uh, now, of course, we go into the final group stage of the Ireland Championships, uh, three-team group, to decide who is crowned All-Ireland well, Hurling Champion. That isn't any more ridiculous than some of the suggestions for 
Well, I don't know about that. Uh, changes over the years, but you know, it might just. I don't think anyone's managed to get rid of the Ireland hurling or football yeah. final yet. In any oh, of the, that's the way it's the going, isn't it? That's the way it's going. You know, it's you boil a frog. You know, how do you boil a frog slowly? You know, we we started off moving it two weeks earlier. Then we then we're moving it into July. Before you know, it, they'll have taken them away. Like, when are you going to wake up? <laughs> when are you going to wake up to oh, see? This is all because Ked's going on holidays for the All-Ireland Hurling Final, which he wanted to go to this uh, year. This is the only reason why Ked's upset about semi-final would have been all right. Yeah. You know? but why, but I mean, why, if the semi final had been on a day earlier, then Ked would not have a problem with the split season. That's, what, uh, why I want is you sudden know fascination with, the, with attending an All-Ireland semi-final? Uh, well, um, just um, to be honest, though. He wants to go to an a almost entirely full Crow Park. To, and I told to him show, that to show my, to, uh, to show my, my wife, who doesn't understand these things. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't get it. She doesn't get... She you know, she hasn't been at one of these types of things, which is which is doubly tragic because she's she's from one of the leading counties, one of the leading current counties. I don't give too much away, but one of the leading current <laughs> so for hurling. We're living through mm-hmm. a golden uh, time in that county's for, for this particular Ireland, yes, uh, achievements, yeah. and I just felt it would be good to you know, but but then I then I find oh no no of course you can't do that because it, it's we've taken it away from where it's always meant to be in the year. And we're and we're actually slowly by degrees getting rid of the whole thing. When are you like? When are you people going to wake up? Like, well, what's what? What are you going to be telling me, Murph? The morning that they send out the email saying the All Ireland hurling final and football final has been abolished. <laughs> what are you gonna? What are you? You're, how are you gonna be just? Yeah, like, how are you gonna be justifying it? How are you gonna be justifying it? Yeah, you're gonna be telling color me. Well, of surprised. course, we this has been on the cards for a long time, and you know, and it's a move that we've needed to make for a long time. Hmm. Well, I mean, we're redressing the balance in favour of the club player, Ken. Yeah, yeah, no, it seems the yeah, balance the, has been well the humble, redressed. The humble artisan. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I mean, I there's like no this. point. I can't bring her to a to a. I mean, I could bring her to a club match. I mean, you can. They're happening all over the place, but not that you know. I mean, it's it just. I think it lacks something of the grandeur of, you know, eighty thousand in, in Croke Park. Now, Ken, there is another solution. There is another solution. Yeah. Which is to say that you could take your summer holidays literally two days later than you currently like, how, are. How was I to know? enabling you how, to go to this game. How was I to know? The only information I had about when the All-Ireland final was going to be was that I'm an Irishman. You know? I'm an Irishman. And, I, and you know, did I did I for a moment think that in July that, w- that was going to be clashing with any All-Ireland hurling fans? No, you know, I mean, obviously not. Now you're no, telling me that I have, to, to I, I, I have to check uh, like a slave. I have to check like a slave the calendar. To see when things are on, if I don't want to miss things, that's what you're. Do slaves do slaves have calendars? I've been spending a lot of time on the internet over the last couple of years, and I've developed, developed a whole new way of looking at the world. Um, and if you're telling me that I have to check a calendar before I book a holiday to make sure I don't miss something I want to go to, I consider that to be slavery now. <laughs> mm. So mm. look on. Th- this is the way things have gone since you've been away. This country. I see what's happened. We used to I have a happened. country. We used yeah. to, we used to live in a country. <laughs> Let's get into the hurling zone. Joe Kenny goes back to take the line ball. It's on the verge. It's on the verge for Galway. Joe Kenny with the line ball. Back outside his own 45 line. It's all over. Galway have won the All-Ireland Championship. Mick Kelly back in 1923. Joe Connolly in 1980. Connor is the man to my left in 87 and 88 with the captains. But David Bork is going to captain Galway to the fifth All-Ireland crown. We think of Tony Keeney. We think of Joe McDonough. We think of Niall Dunahoe. We think of Michael Corkin. We think of every great hurling person that has left us in the massive, massive time of 29 years. 
is, I don't mind it admitting it, there's a fair few tears in the eyes. This is absolutely magic. Uh, brilliant, Sean. I, I, I just saw we are down now to the last four in the All-Ireland Hurling Championship. Not the last three, as I mistakenly said <laughs> earlier in the show. Galway play Limerick now after edging it against Cork and Clare against Kilkenny in their semi-final after they eventually got it done against Wexford. Jamie, it's been a couple of weeks. How are you? Owen, Falter Ash, good to hear your voice again. Ah, thank you so much. Pat Donnellan's on with us again today for the first time in a while. Pat, great to have you on again. How are you? Good, lads, good. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Now the two games that I got to say, at both at, at a similar stage in both matches, Jamie, I was a little bit concerned because both of them threatened to be absolute duds. To be fair, but I, in each case, enough happened in the second half, and actually they ended up being sort of uh, quite enthralling. I think by the end, but um, there was a concern there that this could be an extremely underwhelming weekend. Hurling. Yeah, exciting if not overly entertaining at times. Like like they, at least they finished. They finished quite well. Um, I think you know. Um, Without without taking a victory lap, I think they they took a similar pattern to that which myself and Murph were, were kind of half fearing last week. Um, you know, we had a fear for Cork and it proved well founded. Um, we had a fear for Clare as well that it might take a while to get going. Um, but you know, we did ultimately at least fall on the side that that they would get o- get it over the line. Um, mm. I'm very you glad did we did. Flir- you flirted outrageously oh, with tipping Wexford. I fluttered my eyelashes at, at Wexford and Derry <laughs> Egan for quite a while before balking. All right, but uh, yeah, no, look, look like um, ultimately, like you know, we'll get into it. I'm sure, but like Wexford didn't do enough when they had Clare kind of on the rack, and when Clare were probably just just trying to shake off those cobwebs. Um, they didn't get enough scores on the board. They didn't get enough shots either. Like, like, I mean, like, it's not like that they had chances and missed them. They really, you know, they just, they didn't do enough when Clare were not at it. And then once mm. Clare kind of got going, the gap wasn't big enough. Whereas I suppose if you if you flip that over and look at the other game, you know, Galway did their damage when Cork were, weren't going well. You know, they got their two goals on the board. They got their couple of scores. You know, they had their bit of a cushion that even when Cork rallied, it was too late. So Jamie, just if we take the Clare game first then, the way you're speaking there, like obviously Clare getting a lot of praise for the way they came back and the way they did get the job done in the last 10, 10, 15 minutes. But are you pinning more of that on Wexford, pinning the result more on Wexford's inability to put Cork, to put Clare away when they had the chance? Yeah, I think if Galway had been playing Clare and caught them in that form in the first half, they'd have beaten them. And I think... Mm. If Cork were, I think, even, I think you know, like I think just a team with a little bit more quality up front would have beaten them. I think if Rory O'Connor hadn't gone off in the first half, um, that, like that was a huge moment. Like, like I'm saying all this you now, like, like I, I think Clare are a better team than 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 Wexford are, but I just think, I think everyone and their dog knew that it was just going to be really hard for Clare in the first 25, 30 minutes of this game, coming off that massive high in terms of, you know, you're at such a pitch for a Munster final, you don't get it over the line and then, you know, it's like two weeks later, it's like, all oh, right, we have to go and play this game now against, you know, against Wexford who have their bit of game under their belt to just get going and it's just, you're on a hiding to nothing, like, um, in terms of if you're clear there, like, so, so like for them, they deserve the praise for getting it over the line, you know, they got, like, I know the goal was a bit fortuitous but they had Wexford on the rack anyway. You know, like I think they were going to bring that game to extra time at least, even if they hadn't got that goal. Um, and I think they'd have kicked on an extra time. You know, like the most disappointing thing for Wexford, they didn't, again, it seemed like they didn't even get a wide at one point there for about a 10 or 12 minute spell when Clare just had them, when they, they outscored them the one nine to two points. But like, 
again, like they weren't even getting the ball up the pitch. It was like it was like an underage game where like you're just pinned in and you just can't get out and your goalie can't clear the sixty five with a puck out and I, I don't know what what it just went wrong. It just they just couldn't seem to to raise a gallop at all. Like whereas, you know, like again, we will stay on clear in Wexford, but just by comparison to Galway when Cork got them on the rack, they just got that score every now and then or they won that free every now and then and it's just so important that it just keeps your nose that small bit in front. And Wexford just couldn't do that. Uh, take us inside the mind of a clear supporter then, Pat, when uh, Ian Galvin's shot comes back off the crossbar. 20 seconds later, it's in the clear net, uh, 160 yards down the other way. I mean, it seemed like that was that. You know, it, it, it just seemed like, right, this is one of those days where nothing is going to go right for us and this is the end of the road. Yeah, it was it was really, really frustrating game. It was, I agree with Jamie, there was, there was kind of an, a sense of inevitability if Clare could get a little bit of momentum and could just keep taking away the scoreboard. But it was so frustrating watching. Um, you could see the guys were leggy. You could see that they were underperforming across the field. Like Wexford had sat there with O'Keefe back on the right-hand side of the fence. So it was it as was plain as day. So they were, what they were trying to do was to cover the right-hand side so that all the puckouts had to go on the left-hand side and Paddy Foley would cover that off with Davy Fitz or if Peter Duggan came out. So tactically, they kind of hedged their bets and said, right, we'll leave a bit of space. DOK will, will fill it and the left-hand side will be clogged. And if, if they go to the, to the heavy side, well, then we, we're, we're, we have a man on. And if we don't, we have a free man. So you could see it, but it was like Claire didn't, it took Clare until half time to figure that out, and that was the problem. Um, very minute in the start of the second half, Dermot Ryan pushed up, Paul Flanagan pushed up, and you could see then that Wexford were kind of at a loss as to what to do. And that goes back to Jamie's point about not being able to get out of the fence. When they pushed up on top of them, then Lee Chin and Conor McDonald were so far away from the puckouts that the real quality in Wexford, the ball just wasn't getting into them as quick as it needed to be. And I know Clare conceded a couple of goals, but I didn't get the sense that there was a real goal threat consistently from Wexford throughout the game. And that, you know, if you have a team on the rack early in the game where Clare were leggy, Wexford needed to be putting 15, 16, 17 points up on the board and really, really putting the gun to Clare's head. Whereas, you know, what, they had 10 points scored at half time. I think it, was, it, just, it just wasn't going to do. Um, and then once Clare got a foothold, they were going to have a purple patch. So it was frustrating from a Clare point of view, but you kind of felt like Wexford were leaving the door open the whole time. And then when it came to came to the patch where, or the time when Clare were going to get their, uh, their kind of period of dominancy, they just had the quality where maybe Wexford didn't at that time. No. But again, Roy O'Connor going off, I think, was a huge fill-up for Clare. He made the first, or he gave the first pass into his brother Jack for the goal. So he's that kind of man who could have come back the field a bit and fed the ball in better to two, two inside forwards. And when he went off then, they were kind of missing that a little bit. Um, so there was, there was a couple of things that happened like that. But look, I think from a Clare point of view, it was frustrating. But... In years gone by and in games gone by, if Clare were underperforming, they would have lost the game. Mm. And, it, and it's a real, you know, it's kind of easy to say it afterwards, I get it. But at the same time, from their point of view, you can't underestimate winning the game, playing sluggish and having it put up to you and coming out the other side. It'll, it'll give them, you know, a great momentum this week in training. Lads that were a little bit off form, Tony at the start of the game, Peter Duggan, um, even Sods at the start of the game. It'll, it'll give them just a little bit of breathing space now to rest up for another couple of days and then have 10 days of a run into the All-Iron semi-final. So really frustrating at the start, but from a clear point of view, I suppose they came through well and the main guys again came through and, and, and a great impact off from the bench, which looking at the overall picture again, is where you need to be when you're playing the likes of Kilkenny and, and Limerick then all going well later on. Brian Lowen spoke afterwards, Pat, as well, about big players who just keep going until something clicks for them, you know? And it was most obviously what happened with Tony Kelly when you look at, you know, he, like hitting three wides in two minutes. is yeah. 
that's the sort of otherworldly performance we've come to expect from Tony Kelly. I mean, he even hits wides at a uh, at an outrageous rate. But um, it, it it also happened for Ryan Taylor, you know. And Ryan Taylor, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about his, kind of his impact over the year, because he's kind of gone a little bit under the radar when obviously everything is on. Shane O'Donnell and Peter Duggan mm. and Tony Kelly, but he's been such an important pair, player for Clare. And in the last 10 minutes, having like not heard his name, all of a sudden he was everywhere. Yeah, he's, I suppose Ryan, is a, he's a player who would have been around the club scene for a, a good few years but and would have been known to have tremendous pace. Like He's, he's frightening how fast he is. Like Tony is, is fast, but in, on a straight line, Ryan will just keep going away and away and away and away from you. So he's, um, what he's added this year, I suppose, is his tackling is excellent. His general player on the middle of the field is excellent. And when, when things are tight, uh, kind of like Jack O'Connor was last year, maybe for Cork, like when, when you need someone just to come out with a ball and put the foot to the floor, Ryan can do that. And he's, his fitness levels are just unbelievable. So the last day, I think, probably like most of the Clare lads, to be fair, they kind of struggled and they were just, just a little bit off the pitch of the game. But his speed and his agility and his pace around the middle, that if there's any loose ball there, when other lads are getting tired, he just is straight onto it, you know, and he, there was a couple of times he broke through the middle, um, gave a little flick pass off or gave a little hand pass off, and he's, he's, he's really, really important to clear at this stage, um, like you mentioned Tony, you mentioned Shane O'Donnell, you mentioned Peter, like he's probably up there, himself and Davy Fitz are the, are the other two foreign players for the year, you know, and, you know, go back to kind of a general point, I suppose, most teams are set up really well in the backs, and the backs are solid, you know, Clare, Limerick, Galway at this stage, uh, Kilkenny, but you, it's the two or three I won't say fringe forwards, but they're two or three kind of non kind of key players for, for, for teams. They're the ones that are kind of winning games at the moment. You can see it with the likes of Limerick, with Barry Nash in the backs or David Reedy when he comes on. So when, when the main lads are tied up and when they're having a little bit of an off day, the other guys are stepping up. And luckily for Clare, we have it this year. Um, Ryan, Fitzy uh, and Kyle Malone obviously are playing really well. So he's, he's, he's instrumental so far this year. And, you know, when you're playing the better teams they'll have three or four or five guys that can watch the main players, but they mightn't have six, seven or eight. And that's where when Ryan Taylor and Davy Fitz are playing well then, that it takes the pressure off, off Tony and, and Shane O'Donnell if they're, if they're a little bit off form or if they're being marked really well. And just just on on that on Ryan Taylor, like like I would say that, like, and it goes back to the first thing you said, Pat, like that I would give Wexford an awful lot of credit for actually identifying Ryan Taylor as someone that, you know, we need to shut down here actually. Do you know, and like, it's not just about that. And like, Clare seemed to just play without a 12. Um, again, going back to the first thing you're saying, and, it, and so Wexford, it's not that Wexford played with a sweeper, I heard them saying, you know, in the commentary. Wexford just played with their six backs. And and their seventh was Connor Devitt, who basically f- just, he just dogged Ryan Taylor out. He, had, he was back in the 45 with Ryan Taylor at one point, and that's why, like, they just seemed to make sure that they had their structure there. And, like, whereas in games gone by, Ryan Taylor was just kind of falling in between the cracks where he was either getting followed and Clare were pummeling ball down that open yeah. side or else he wasn't getting followed and they were picking him out all day. And when that yeah. kind of... Clare, Wexford just seemed to figure that out and it just did seem to actually... It had a bigger impact on Clare, I think, than, than we'll say, than armchair pundits might, might have thought, you know, like yeah. that you might say, oh, shut down Tony Kelly and you'll win the game. But actually shutting down that actual outlet like Ryan Taylor and have, still having, and not at the expense of losing your structure, was part of what gave Wexford that platform in the start, you know? Yeah, definitely. You could see it. Like, look at... Everyone keeps talking about matchups and it's cliche and all that. But you, you know, when you're when you're playing certain teams, you have to get your matchups right. That's it. But 
Wexford Wexford hedged their bets. Brought it wasn't a sweeper. I don't. You could call it a sweeper, you yeah. know. And most yeah. most teams I don't aren't playing with a nothing out sweeper. If any, like you, you you can't afford to have a man loose because the other teams are so good with the ball. It's just it doesn't really work. So he he was filling a position where there's usually space, and that happened. You know, most Limerick, Clare, Galway, Kilkenny, they're all doing the same tactic. You're trying to free up that space and force the wing back to track a man or leave a gap, and somebody else will float into it. Whereas Wexford filled the space. And said, "Look, go down the left hand side, and if it does, we'll 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 fight our fight our way there, and, and we have a, an overlap." So, the I think the only thing from Wexford from my view was that that seemed to be their tactic, and when Clare matched it, Wexford didn't have the answer. That was that was that's the problem, and it's the risk you take with with any kind of uh, game at that level. If you put all your eggs in one basket and say, "Well, this is the way we're going to play, no matter what," if you don't have the ability to change in real time, if it's not working, or if the other team has has got the upper hand. Then, then it's a game, you know, it's kind of a, well, who's the better team and who is the better players at that stage? And Clare have the better players, you know, and it's kind of like when you, I suppose, when you're going up against the team and you know the talent they have, if you're, if you're trying to force, I suppose, you know, a tactic that, that, that's going to ask something of a team, but if they answer the question, you need to revert again straight away and change it up again, you know, because the class of Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell and Peter Doug and all these guys was going to tell and Westford weren't out of sight. If it was a tight game, you know, the classy players are going to come to the fore. Yeah, Shane O'Donnell, we've only touched on so far, Jamie, but, um, you know, for somebody who feared for his, his future playing hurling uh, only last year with this very serious concussion issue, he he was just, um, he looked amazing, I thought. Well, particularly in the second half, he just, um, because, you know, you've, you've done both done a great job of explaining the tactics of the game. And even within that, you need game breakers like he is, just in terms of his ability to... He's just such a dynamic player to watch when he's in full flight like that. Has added so much to his game since like his breakthrough, we'll say. Like, like I remember seeing... Um, it was yourself, Pat, that made the run for one of his goals, wasn't it? I did, yeah. Uh, I, did. Yeah, don't get enough credit. I don't get enough credit for all the applause he got. <laughs> You're going to get it here, Pat. You're going to get it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a good-looking guy, so I get it. <laughs> But uh, like I remember seeing that like his breakthrough breakthrough game with Cork uh, against Cork, not with Cork against Cork, where he scored that three three in the All Ireland final and like you know, people were saying kind of saying you know all oh, the goals some of the goals were laid on a plate for him like no I disputed that about one or two of them but definitely Pat laid one on a plate for him like and <laughs> and like you know but now he's he's winning puck outs yeah. he's like he's winning ball in the air he's winning frees he's brilliant to win a free he does this thing like where he. He he takes the kind of the ball through you and then puts his hands up into the air and it's like the ref is like playing Simon says like oh I better put my hand up into the air and give an advantage here, like he wins frees he gets vital scores, like he's just turned into a, a very different player to mm. to the kind of the poacher he was like, but so effective like so so effective in what he does now he's after like I I read one or two of his his articles that that, that were out um. When he got the player of the month and he was discussing, you know, the concussion issues. And one thing that he did also say is that bit of time off the field allowed him to put on a bit of physical condition. And like, it really suits him and it really suits his game. And what's more than that is it really suits Claire. Do you know, it really suits Claire what the job he's doing for them now. And the way kind of the modern game has gone as well, you know, like he's he's just added so much to his game and to Claire with this kind of new role that he that he seems to play for them. Mm. What about that, Pat? He's kind of a scary guy to kind of mark at times because he's, uh, he, you know, if you tie him up physically, he'll just slip you because he's, he's um, he, he, just the way he moves his body and the way he can kind of flow, you know, or he'll kind of catch the ball behind your head or he'll just flick the ball. He, 
he kind of is nearly a step ahead of you at times when you're marking him. So he's one of those kind of scary guys. He's like it's like kind of TJ Reid or or you know he, he you kind of know what he's doing, but you still can't match him. You know, and and he'll just get there that half second in front of you. So he's he takes watching all the time. But he's I suppose bringing him out the field, I think, has given him a bit of a lease of life. He he's he's a brilliant inside forward. He's his finishing is second to none. Like if you had a ball in the last minute of the game, you I'd want Sads to have it. Um, but he's more important to this Clare team out the field because. You know, we see it now, even we we're talking about Wexford there the last day, you know, Wexford half forward line probably didn't offer enough to the team when they needed it. Uh, and having Lee Chin and Conor McDonald in full forward line is, I won't say it's irrelevant, but, you know, the level of quality in there is only going to be as good as the ball going in or as good as the focus that can be taken off the half back line to watch watch what the men outside. And if, if the half forward line aren't doing it, um, you know, the, the, the half backs will sit a little bit deeper and the midfield will still sit a little bit deeper, you know, so... You know, Tom Morrissey, Groot Hegarty do it for for, uh, for Limerick. Um, Adrian Mullen doing it for Kilkenny. So you need those quality players out the field, bringing the halfbacks out, making sure they're marking their men and not giving all the focus to the inside line because you'll, you'll tie up good forwards in the full back line if, if you have an extra two or three defenders to do it. So he's he's important that way because he takes an awful lot of watching. But he's, he's um, the more than Ryan Taylor, he's excellent to come back and win the ball in the halfback line or a, or a kind of a... A soft hand pass, and he'll he'll go past the man like Jamie said, draw a foul, um, and then more often than not, I don't I don't know if I ever really seen him waste the ball. Like he he very rarely gets dispossessed, and he'll always give a decent ball into the next guy. So very intelligent man, off the field, you know knows what he kind of wants to do. Doesn't get consumed by hurling, um, but fierce fierce driven. Hard, very hard to put him off, you know, physically or mentally or anything. He's just he's just one of them guys. He just kind of does his own thing, plays well, and this year he's 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 kind of instrumental to most of the things that Claire are doing. Yeah, yeah. He told us a great story about his early days in in college in Harvard. Murph, do you remember where he didn't? The lads, the, the, his friends, who he was roommates, I think, mm-hmm. didn't know what he did at home. It kind of slow, there was a bit of a drip feed, and eventually he showed like it was the YouTube clip the following year before. It's like, okay, so here's 82,500 people yeah. going completely insane at me scoring a hat trick in 10 minutes. But, you know, again, I don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what about Galway, Murph? Um, they didn't exactly storm over the line, but they, they got <laughs> no. over the line. Relieved? No, no. I mean, oh, well, very relieved. But again, it's. It's not kind of one of those, you know, the answers to the problems that Gola have had over the last kind of three or four weeks are presenting themselves in droves. I mean, they found a way, um, but it was, you know, if if I'm from Cork, as one of the people on this call <laughs> is, uh, I would say I, you know, I'd be pretty annoyed at just, you know, I think 311 was a figure that was being thrown around on the television analysis that they missed in the first half. I mean, you're going to miss a few, but... Three, like it probably was in the region of three ten, three eleven that Cork could easily have, have have put away in the first half, and it's so weird looking at at Galway now, where we've been so long saying, you know, if Joe can't do it, no one can do it, and now it's it's seamless. Like Canning retires, and straight away it's like if Conor Whelan can't do it, no one's going to be able to do it, and it's ridiculous how Galway are so dependent on him. It's not just the scores that he gets; it's literally the entire shape of the team is dependent on Conor Whelan. Uh, doing his job um, so I'm relieved I don't know how disappointed Jamie is at that Cork performance because you know it, it, they're just such an enigma Jamie like it's it's really hard to get a read on this Cork team and the more years of evidence we see the more games we see even this year the further away I think we are from knowing what kind of team this Cork team is 
Yeah, you. It's like it's like Sporting Man United. It's like you'd be more disappointed if you didn't expect something similar to happen at Saturday at three o'clock, and you know, spoiler weekend every so often. You know, at this mm. point, you're kind of resigned to 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 these performances happening every every so often. I think like like you nearly like it nearly all ties together. Like looking at like I know that figure three eleven was bandied about. I think that's a bit. Like that's a bit Yeah like, I mean No one yeah, hits everything you know, like, you know, yeah. No exactly Like and, and like the Robbie The Robbie O'Flynn goal chance It's generous To call that a goal chance Really you'd expect Any top level goalkeeper To save that You'd expect any Intermediate club level Goalkeeper to save mm-hmm. it To be quite honest Like it's it's a ridiculous shot But I think that's actually Emblematic of the problem With Cork Is that he went for a goal From there Like when Cork Just badly needed The ball to go over the bar They just badly needed A few white flags To settle themselves Do you know Like you're under A little bit of pressure the kind of spectre of, of Patrick Horgan not playing is there anyway. Your free taker has missed one or two frees. It's like, just get us a couple of scores here, do you know? Um, so, like, that's a decision. That's a bad decision. Even the 11 wides that they're talking about, like, I would always say, like, you have to look at the quality of shots as well. Like, some of them were not good shots. Do you know? They, they were like... They were shots on your back foot heading over the sideline. They were kind of... The Tim O'Mahony one in particular is just a just terrible decision, like a terrible decision. You know? You're just like, you don't take that shot. like, And you can't really bemoan that as, oh God, we had the chances. It's like, that wasn't a chance. Like that ball has to go to Seamus Harndy and then it goes over the bar. Like, like they're small things. Like they're, like they're just indicative of the, the decision-making kind of malaise that, that Cork had yeah, up front. This, this is actually an interesting thing, right? Because... In the public consciousness, a wide isn't an error in a way that, like, you know, a defensive blunder is. But some of those wides that Cork met, it, it's not like, oh, well, we're creating the chances, therefore, you know, something good's going to happen. Like, they are errors, like, bad, bad errors. It's it's the shot is an error. Like, even the, the point Robbie O'Flynn actually scored, that's <laughs> yeah, an error. It's an error. <laughs> like, 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 they actually... Um, in in the in the halftime analysis, they had the the tagline "Corks missed chances," and then right at the end, they had that score by Robbie O'Flynn. So obviously, someone working in the truck had kind of saw him take the shot and goes, "Oh, that's going in the wide yeah, in the yeah. wide in the wide analysis <laughs> thing." But um, no, like it just it, it was even Alan Connolly's goal chance. He snatched at it, and it's so unlike him. Like like just kind of. Pat said like that that Shane O'Donnell is, is probably the best finisher he he would say I would put Owen Cody and Kilkenny up in that bracket as well in terms of like he'll always carry it in that extra t- it's like it's only a yard or two but it just makes a saveable shot into a goal you know and he hits the one off the hurley compared to Shane Kingston's finish in the second half which is exactly that it's like right I'm taking this another two yards and I'm finishing it off the hurley like that's a real finish like you know whereas Cork just snatched they snatched at at point shots they snatched at goal chances and like if it 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 doesn't have to be even in the second half Tim O'Mahony wins the ball right Cork are after bringing it back to four points at the start or five four or five points to start the second half and it's the first play and Tim O'Mahony he's bursting in and he's like I'm going to go for goal again and play a ball across it's like a score is massive here like a score is huge like you know the, the saying like how do you eat an elephant it's like one bite at a time, do you know? Like, a score there is massive for Cork, like, and it's just the decision-making almost all day was just horrendous, like. And then, you know, it actually goes back to, and I was going to, I had to bite my tongue not to kind of be like, talk about Cork and Galway when Pat was talking about, about Wexford a minute ago, but, like, it, it goes back to, um, you know, like that, the structure side of it, and, like, the, if you don't, have a, if you have a plan and if it doesn't work, or if it's if it gets copped, how do you fix it? 
if you watch David Burke, he was like, you know, like a runner in the army out to the general, to Shefflin, giving him kind of the real-time information of what was happening on the field. And they were making decisions. That happened two or three times during the game. And you could see Galway adjusted. Like So Cork got that first goal chance where there was acres of space in front of Cork's inside too. For the next 15-20 minutes, Cork, Galway's half-back line did not allow that. Whereas if you compare it to the first... No, sorry, not the first Galway goal. I'm just trying to wipe the first Galway goal out of my out of my mind. But the second Galway goal, the first real goal, we'll say the actual goal chance, where Galway moved the point of attack across, Tom Monaghan just put it into the space. If you actually see the space in a one-on-one with Whelan is disgraceful, like. And even though Sean O'Donoghue's in front, like a one-on-one for anyone with Whelan, like he's such a bear, like a one-on-one there is just, it's it's really bad. And then like, I think it's Robert Downey's coming back he's sauntering back into the space rather than recognising, Jesus, there's a chance actually that my defender gets out-muscled here by Whelan. And like, Cork didn't close down that space and it just took that bit longer for Cork to do it. And as a result, Galway got that second goal that like ultimately was the difference. Like, whereas in the second half, if you watched Cork, very rarely were the inside two not accompanied by Joyce dropping in to make sure that they weren't exposed like that again. But it's just a case of, it just took Cork a little longer than it took Galway and that's all it takes is that like you know like sometimes with these tactics like you know they're going to have us figured out after half an hour and we're going to have to revert to something but you're just hoping you do the damage in that spell and it just Galway had you know it took Cork that little bit longer than it took Galway Cork missed that chance with it Galway got that chance with it Galway took that chance and at the end of it like there was a point in it a goal is three simple enough isn't it <laughs> Pat I saw uh, from Galway's side of things everybody and I'm sure Sheffield accepts that if they play the, at the same level they're not going to trouble Limerick but the question is is the ceiling much higher than what we saw out there do you think that they do with a few adjustments specifically what do they have to do to be competitive against Limerick I forget about being competitive what do they have to do to beat Limerick and take them down yeah, I think I think to be fair, you know, I'm kind of bigging up clear and they won the game, but I think the performance of the two quarterfinals now would be nothing related to what you'd need to do against Limerick. It'd be, um, uh, you know, Limerick would be out of sight in fifteen minutes or twenty minutes. There, you know, they just wouldn't. Um, so in terms, but from Galway's point of view, I think you know, scrappy enough game. Uh, both teams struggling for a bit of form. Galway probably came good when they needed to, and a little bit more settled on the ball, like Jamie is saying. But to how to beat Limerick. I think, look, I think the way that most teams play against Limerick is that you, you, you can't go man for man, right? If you go man for man against Limerick, you leave the space in the inside line and then you're basically, you're, you're a goose anyway because their, their quality in the inside line is too, is too much. So you have to have a structure. It's not a sweeper. I don't even think a sweeper will do because if you give an extra man to Limerick around the middle of the field, uh, you're giving him the advantage straight away as well. So it's having the confidence of the six players in the backs and the two midfielders going man to man, but always having that covering half forward or, or, or the centre forward sitting a bit to cover uh, a man that slips off the shoulder for somebody else. So it's, it's, it's a very simple game plan, I think, to beat Limerick. But the problem is their players are so good. So one-on-one, every player takes so much watching. But I, I don't think there's a tactic like what Wexford did or putting two men back and hoping that you can keep the scores down and you might outscore them eventually. I don't think that'll work because... They can shoot from distance, they can put it in high, they can put it in low. So they're like they're an excellent team to watch from that point of view, and they're obviously the best team out there. Um, but Galway are probably able to match them in the physical stakes, certainly in the backs. Um, and 
they have the class in the forwards on their day, but Galway's problem will be will always be there from the five or the four forwards, which is what they'll need to beat Limerick, because Conor Whelan will be tied up. You know, even if even if Conor Whelan has a great day, you know, he's going to score what, one seven, one eight, uh, if he has a fantastic day. So you need the other forwards and the two midfielders at this stage probably scoring what, eighteen points between them, you know. So it's it's a huge amount of scores that need to come from the other players. Um and that'll be Galway's focus that, you know, it's I would be thinking it's a man to man game, but on a really, really basic level, you just need everybody playing well. And if you have two or three or four lads falling off it, well, Limerick will just eat you away. And it's it's simple, but it's not easy. That's the problem. Yeah, that's it, Jamie. And you look at that Galway forward line, Conor Cooney not really going all that well. Brian Cannon dropped uh, altogether the last day. Cahill Mannion, in fairness, in the last 10 minutes came into it on Saturday. But up until then, you put that with the Leinster final that Cahill Mannion had had, you have to say he's not, he's scratching around for his form like there's uh, there are still so many issues in this Galway team and primarily I think in the area that all those guys play in it's like Galway are getting absolutely destroyed in the air and whatever about getting destroyed in the air by Kilkenny getting destroyed in the air by Cork with Limerick coming up next is a really really bad sign I will get eaten alive by Limerick if, if you do that like if you play that kind of ball and like like Dermot Burns will eat you alive Declan Hannon is very good in the air Dan Morrissey will eat you alive Sean Finnan and his size 40 Hurley will break every ball to the ground like Mike Casey actually funny enough like uh, speaking of Galway like and Mike Casey for, for a kind of a relatively shorter man is probably the best defender at dealing with that height mismatch that I've ever seen like he was yeah. left in there with Peter Duggan against Clare no panic just made sure he broke his ball and like Peter's one of the best in the air because he can go either hand he was left in there in 2018 and you know everyone was talking about oh they'll have to put Dan Morrissey back to mark Johnny Glynn oh god like, it was, it, we were like two weeks talking about John, was, the, the, the pain that Johnny Glynn would inflict on Mike on, on this small man and he just destroyed him like it's from not start fair to finish. there should be a rule like, against, there should be yeah. a rule against <laughs> these sort of uh, height imbalances it's like, an outrage Dredrick Tatum uh, versus yeah, Homer yeah. Simpson kind of job like, I'm going to make an orphan of, of Mike Casey's children but um, no like like it, it like so like you can forget about it if you can't win your own ball against Limerick like like Mike Pat said like there's a, a, a kind of a simple element too in that like you do have to be capable of winning your own ball at times against them um, I, I'll be honest Murph like and like this could be famous last words but like I don't give Galway a hope in hell of beating Limerick mm-hmm. in the semi-final like based on what I saw from that game yesterday like realistically like you know while I'm not I'm not on board the whole Cork left 3-11 behind them in the first half they should have won band equally Cork, Cork did do enough to win that game and like if Galway don't it's not like even like if Galway play anything like that against Limerick they'll get beaten out the gate if Galway don't if Galway don't play at least three times as well as they played yeah. on Saturday They'll get beaten out the game. But, but is, is that in them, is what I'm saying, Jamie? Is, is Do you see any a much higher ceiling than what, what's there? Or is that just the Galway team at the moment, um, you know, at the early enough stage of Henry Sheffield's management? At the moment, I don't think they're capable of beating Limerick, to be quite honest. I don't, I don't, I look at their forward line and I don't see anyone else who can carry the can in terms of winning his own ball and scoring. Like there's, there's very much a, a plan there with, with, Tom Monaghan and Ronan Glennon to to do that kind of drop off and Ryan Taylor kind of work we'll say like where they're dropping off and getting on ball and delivering ball but like who actually is going to score for them like with Conor Whelan because like even Conor Whelan like you know his totals are like his best totals are something like 2-3 or, or maybe you know like mm. he's he's not going to score 8 points from play for you 
Like, that's not his game. Even look at, Jesus Christ, like, two of the scores he took the last day against Cork. Like, like they can't continue going over, like, from, from the end line on the sideline. Like, you know, they, it's not sustainable to, to think that his scores will carry you through because he's not even, like, a, a, a heavy scorer, like, in the mould of Tony Kelly or, or these guys. So, like, he needs someone else to carry the scoring can. Connor Cooney probably should be picking up that slack but seems like at, well, look, Co- Cooney li- and Cole Manning are, are the answer to the question yeah. you're, you're asking and that Cole Manning can hit six points from play like and has done it before and but, he's but playing but what's his situation. role yeah. what's his role in this Galway team because he spends a lot of the time further back to pitch as well so is he going to carry that scoring can probably not um, Keenan Fahey you know it was it was probably a bad weekend for, for the guys who were reprieved of their suspensions really when you when you add up the, the three lads days out they weren't particularly good but like Keenan Fahey doesn't look like he's a particular scoring forward Connor Cooney in fairness at least nailed his freeze this day which is what got them over the line when you when you look back at it um, which is his, his primary job I suppose there but he needs to contribute more from play a guy I'd love to see is Jason Flynn I, I don't know I just I think he's that guy who if they could get him going, could score. Like, like I'm looking at the forward and I'm like, why is this, what is this guy, what is it about this guy when I look at him, it seems to be that he has everything, but what is he not doing? Like, because obviously, like, I'd be always very wary of saying, when you're not, when you're not inside a camp, you don't know what's going on. So, you know, like, like, we, and we do know nothing, but what is it that this guy is lacking? Because it seems to me, he could, could and possibly should be the answer to that next scoring forward, but just doesn't seem to be. Yeah, well, you know, that's seven or eight years that Goalie people have been saying exactly the same thing about Jason Flynn, you know, and just unfortunately, every time he's gotten the chance, he just he just hasn't shown it, you know, he just hasn't, it, it, you know, he's gotten so many chances in this team and, you know, he can't, he, you, you can't take him off a panel because he's so good and he's <laughs> yeah. got so many, so many um, attributes, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, he just hasn't delivered on it, you know, unfortunately, that's just the reality of the situation. Okay, lads, we'll have more time to think about these yeah. semi-finals, I'm sure. Pat, just one last word there for you. It's only just on Galway, yeah. Like, you need a good spread of scores, Kira. That's 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 the, like, you know, like Tom Morrissey and Groot Hegarty, everyone's on yeah. about their work rate and this or that, but, like, they're still getting four or five points from play every game. Score, so that's, yeah. eight or, that's eight or nine points between them. So then you have your inside forwards contributing and the midfielders a handful of scores, but the other teams are struggling in that respect because... Conor Whelan will get a few scores. Conor Cooney will get a few scores in the freeze. Cahill Mannion will as well. But you've, you've, you've another three forwards and you've two midfielders there that need to be contributing 10 or 11 points between them. And at the moment, you know, you're not. You're just not going to get up to it. So that's, that's where teams are struggling. Um, any, any day to come off and there's only a spread of four or five scores against Limerick, they're going to lose. You know, you need seven or eight people pitching in uh, with a handful of points because it's going to be up to 20 plus points and, and obviously a goal or two to beat them as well. So it's, 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 I think they have a chance. Obviously, they have a chance in the semi-final, but on a basic level, if you were to put all the panels of the four teams left out on paper, you'd be very hard pushed to take any of those Limerick guys off the best 15 that's there. And the reality is they have the best panel of players, they have the best bunch of players at the moment. And, you know, when it comes down to it on, on a big day in Turles or Croke Park, if everyone is performing at, at the same level, in theory, the best players win out. And that's why Limerick have the level of performance every day and, and, and the quality they have and the class they have comes to the fore. So it's... You know, I won't say Galway are trying to bring him down a level, but to even it out, they have to make sure that they're taking away the scores. And, and, and then the game plan is simple, but, but again, not easy because you, you have to match the quality that's on the field. On that sombre note for Murph, we'll wrap things. Pat, <laughs> Jamie, lovely. Thanks, Emil. Good on. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, can we go for the goal here? 2 13 to 1 13. This is like old times at the moment. Hurt them, kill them, injure them. A route ruling on the 45 meter line. This is deliberately to stop Mead's momentum. Have no doubt about that. When Dublin get vulnerable, they always do this. Always and ever. And always and ever have. That was our mentality in the 80s. Hurt them, kill them, injure them. Some of these fuckers are missing now. Two or three players need to be stopped. Some way, somehow, they need to be stopped. Hurt them, kill them, injure them, killing Dublin, stopping Dublin. There's certain things we need to do to stop them, you know? There's still a chance for me, and Dublin at the moment are holding on to it in an obnoxious fashion. This is ugly, ugly football. The killer instinct. Your purpose on this planet is to stop Dublin. Hurt them, kill them, injure them. Do anything you gotta do. They're just gonna be stopped. They're either gonna be outplayed or they're gonna be removed. Quite the spectacular evening of golf last night. Leona Maguire shooting a final round 65 to make it into a three way playoff. Uh, for the major LPGA Classic only to finally lose out on the second sudden death hole uh, Roy McIlroy didn't get quite as close to winning the US Open his final round charge didn't materialise it was left to Sheffield United fan Matt Fitzpatrick mm. to step up to win the first of his six major titles well Owen I have to say that the man from the Steel City showed nerves of steel mm. uh, down the stretch <laughs> mm-hmm. for his maiden major victory yeah there were a lot of blades. There were a lot of puns on the, the blades. Uh, well, I should hope so. Yeah. I mean, I've got a whole bag of them here, Rod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you mean six major victories, Owen? Thanks, Ken, for picking me up on oh, that. Well, yeah. Six is the number, said Fitzpatrick when asked whether he had a major's target. That's the number that we all in Fitzpatrick's team agreed on. <laughs> I love that. It's got to be six. I've got a bit of a way to go, but it's a good start. That That's a, you know, there are a lot of players and Rory McIlroy being among them who might have thought that they would get to six long before now, but it's hard to sometimes get past that three, four kind of barrier. Mm. It would match the European record of Nick Faldo were he to end up with six major titles. You were watching last night, Ken. I threw it on out. Yeah. Were you impressed by Fitzpatrick's bunker shot on 18? It was, was, it, was a, it was a very fine bunker shot. He It was a solid whack. Ball yeah, landed very close to the flag after that, and I thought, yeah. "Well, that was a good shot." You can't ask for much more than that, Ken, can you? No, when but the old I, ball lands quite close to the hole. I was puzzled. I was like, "Who are these people? Have all the best players already joined Live Golf?" I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know any of these. And then they, well, name, was, name, the, name the five best golfers in the world right now, Ken. In your head, um, in my head, T- yeah. 
Tiger uh, Woods, obviously. T- Tiger Woods is, is the yep. legacy. Number one. Yeah. Uh, Roy McIlroy. Yep. Um, Phil Mickelson. Okay. Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Charles Schwartzel. <laughs> Do you, think that last one? you really are a big live golf fan, aren't you? Well, I mean, like four, three of those names, three of those names play on live golf, and the other one is currently recuperating. Well, I thought Spr- is Bryson is Bryson DeChambeau not a big player? He is, but I'll tell you what, it's uh, like he's had he has had a bit of a bad run of form, you know. Um, uh, you know, I he he was like two years ago a phenomenon in world uh, golf. Speed, Jordan Speed. Uh, see, Bryson DeChambeau is the world number twenty nine, you know, right. uh, which is not what you'd call in the top but five. It's, really, it's is speed, it? speed is big. No, or there speed, was a guy. Speed, who is I saw... one, speed is another one of those golfers who who he got to three. Isn't he on three? And he got mm. he's been ruined there for an awful long time. But yeah. you, you're going to say who else did you see? Can your you? man? I saw this guy with a weird accent. Um, what was his name? Ram John Ram John Ram. Yeah, I saw this guy. But where? Like, where's that guy from? Is he American? It's, Country he's called Spain, Ken. He's Spanish, right? Okay, he's, I thought he sounded Spanish, but then he he was called John Ram. Yeah, but he mm. spent a lot of time in the US on the on the collegiate mm. circuit. He's Central. the world number two. Jordan Spieth yeah. is the world number ten. Scotty Scheffler is the world number one, and Scotty Scheffler Larry, was right there. Larry, with their last what, what about Larry? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Shane is currently world number twenty-four. Okay. There's a lot of uh, stories going around about Matt Fitzpatrick this morning, just how great a guy he is and all this sort of stuff. One of them from Dan Rappaport. Impossible to overstate how disciplined Matt Fitzpatrick is, but this might help. A few weeks ago, his friend had a bachelor party in Florida. Matt offered his house for them all to stay at and use as they please, but it was the week before the PGA Championship, so he told them he absolutely, under no circumstances, would participate in any debauchery. He practiced all day, had dinner with them, and stayed in his room while the boys raged all night. Wow. Wow. Uh, I did like uh, his brother, Alex. I was most impressed by his dedication to the cause, actually. I know this is Matt's moment, but his brother uh, flying home to England on Saturday morning, landing and then realising that he was t- Matt, that his brother was tied for the lead uh, in the US Open, <laughs> got on a flight straight back and landed. Because actually, it was hilarious. He was, uh, the, the family were being interviewed on Sky Sports. Uh, Mum, brother and dad from left to right on the screen. And I took one look at this trio and see, I have a special power, on. I don't know if you know this, but I am able to guess to a high degree of, with a high degree of certainty whether someone being interviewed in the aftermath of a sporting event is about to curse during the interview. <laughs> this, is co- this is finally, finally honed from watching uh, minor games on TG Cahar, where without fail, the man of the match will throw, will throw in a cuss word. Uh, the, the high point of this actually was at the 2016 All-Ireland Final. I was watching it with Dion Fanning. And uh, John Bubbles Dwyer oh, yeah. uh, was being interviewed on the pitch. And literally, as the camera panned to him, before the interview started, I turned to Dion and I said, he's going to, <laughs> he's definitely going to swear, swear during this interview. And of course, he started the interview with, we're the we're champions, champions of, of fucking Ireland, Ireland to like 82,000 <laughs> people and a watching audience of a million people. Uh, but anyway, so I was, I was watching this and the brother... He looked as if he'd been enjoying the hospitality tents, like, a lot. Mm. Like, he looked extremely... That's what they're there for, you know? That's what they're Extremely for. tired and emotional. I was like, this guy is definitely going to swear, swear on national television. And then, like, the first thing he says was, I basically haven't slept for 36 hours and have flown across the Atlantic twice. So I was like, yeah, this is actually isn't beer-related. This is just, like, extreme exhaustion. <laughs> uh, 
I know, but the, like the family seemed amazing. Yeah. I mean, I did feel like there was rather more talk about the caddy than there needed to be. It seems I mean, to be a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Great. Like he won his first major, but I mean. So did Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah. And like he did the lion's share. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. Matt Fitzpatrick did hit, I, I think, nearly all of the shots that won the US Open yesterday. Maybe in fact 100% of them. Thank you for listening to today's Second Captain's Podcast. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. It's good to be back. Thank, thank you, Owen. You. And thank Owen. you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Oh, Owen, Take. can I say it? Yes, Kieran. He didn't call me Owen until literally the last link on Friday. Whoa. It sounded like I, I was doing it deliberately, but it was just... Uh, <laughs> just That's yeah. incredible. It was I mean, it, genuinely oh, incredible. Wow. Yeah, yeah. To get that far, to get so close. Yeah. And to fall so close to Everest. Early. There you go. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And one last thing, on and Murph. I don't say this often enough, but I love you guys and appreciate all the hard work you do. You're the best. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. 